coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. You ever wake up and you just know you don't have it that day? Today is one of those days for me. I'm not sure that I have it. I can't even guarantee you you're going to get a full show out of me. Like, literally, there may be a uh, recycled back half of the show. Uh, I do have a conversation in mind that I had a few weeks back that I don't mind resharing again because it's all about uh, personal well-being, mental health. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll, see how the, we'll see how the show goes. Uh, I awoke today, and everybody been complaining about allergies. Ooh, the allergies just bothered me, and I've been like, hmm, I'm good. I don't know what y'all's problem is. But <clears throat> I have to also admit, allergies really weren't a problem for me. I don't recall growing up, a kid, young adult, something about hitting them 30s and 40s, though. Pow! All of a sudden, allergies now are an issue for me on the regular. Uh, and I, for some reason, don't know why, don't know if it was just whatever was blooming early wasn't my thing, but whatever whatever just kicked in here recently, oh, that's my thing. It's, it's, it's coming for me. It's got my name on it. And I woke up today and I was like, ugh, I just feel, ugh. You know what I mean? Like general achiness and a little bit of the throat draining thing going on. And I will tell you this. This is an old radio hack. If you ever feel like you're about to have a sore throat, run. Don't walk. Run to your nearest grocery store or produce stand, fresh market, whatever. Get yourself a pineapple. Cut it up. Chop it up into bits. You know, bites. Bite-sized bits. And be snacking on that. When you start to feel a little tickle in your throat, you feel like you want to run for a lozenge, cough drop, or some throat spray, instead, eat some pineapple. First of all, uh, pineapple's loaded with enzymes that help you fight illness and whatever else might be, you know, about to attack you. Uh, the syrup in the pineapple is pretty sticky. Well, if, when you cut that pineapple, you'll find out it's sticky. Anyway, <clears throat> it sticks to your throat and coats your throat and kind of keeps you from... Uh, damaging your vocal cords, damaging your throat, and giving yourself like those those bronchial scratches from clearing your throat all the time by giving you that juicy buffer. Kind of creates. Uh, remember how the uh, the Pepto Bismol commercial would show you? Kind of gives you that pink coating. That's what the pineapple juice does. It kind of gives you a coating along your throat to keep you from developing a sore throat. So I did. I ran to uh, Kroger this morning. And I grabbed not just a pineapple, I've yet to cut it up, uh, but I also grabbed some pineapple juice because, if, I mean, that's literally what you want for. You want it for the pineapple juice. I mean, don't get me wrong. The pineapple's good for you. And it's so soothing. It's so soothing and so good for you. Um, <clears throat> but the pineapple juice to at least coat the throat will uh, help you out. There you go. I'm telling you, as an old radio DJ, I, did, I was in radio broadcasting for more than 25 years and very rarely did my voice go out and it's because someone a long time ago taught me what I'm telling you about pineapple and pineapple juice. You're welcome. Okay, so even if I do dip out for the second half of the show, just because I, I, I took a non-drowsy antihistamine, but come on, they still hit you a little bit. Uh, and, and I just don't, in general, have it today. I'm just kind of feeling blah. Uh, while I may duck out for the back half of the show and, and, uh, and give you a, a repeat of a, a very poignant conversation I had a few weeks ago with a friend of mine who launched a mental wellness app, I do at least want to spend the first two segments going over some headlines. And the first one, uh, it, it isn't the biggest headline, but it's good news. Georgia Power customers, look at you. You're going to get a credit on your March bill. 
it's going to be about twenty three dollars. Um, okay, you know, not that not that big a deal. Uh, not going to impact your savings. But here's what I would advise you to do. First of all, they did this because they had a, a better than expected twenty twenty two. They, you know, uh, they they rated, uh, raked in some earnings that were almost three hundred million dollars higher than previously estimated. So they're going to give us some money back. Now I don't think we're getting the three hundred million dollars back, but we're getting our little piece of it back. I'm telling you, take that twenty three dollars. And just keep it in your account, uh, you know, uh, in your Georgia Power account or whatever. Because remember when I told you here a few weeks ago, they told us that uh, not only is there going to be a rate increase uh, that they, that was voted for with the Public Service Commission uh, recently, but they also anticipate uh, summer billing to be about 17% higher, if I remember correctly, because of, you know, the cost of inflation. So that $23, I know that feels good now. Just hang on to it. You're going to... You're going to notice you'll need it back going to Georgia Power coming this summer. But still, it's kind of nice to find out we're going to get $23 back or at least a credit, huh? Okay, good news. Here's another story that I think, uh, well, first of all, it's good news, but I also think it's kind of funny that (laughs) efforts to challenge uh, voter eligibility to an extreme last year by a lot of MAGA activism has finally gotten to local and state elections officials where they're like, okay, this, this is absurd. This is ridiculous. Our Mark, Mark Nisi uh, at the AJC is reporting, is it Nisi or Nice? Mark Nisi at the AJC reporting that uh, there, could, there could be some uh, revamping done in the General Assembly to voter eligibility challenges, potential changes, including prohibiting challenges just before an election. Because, I mean, you know, the folks are already kind of busy preparing for an election. That's kind of, you know, crappy. Uh, let's see. Other changes would include uh, requiring more proof beyond unreliable change of address information. Uh, they would uh, raise the standard of evidence needed and prevent disqualifications based on mass challenges against thousands of voters all at once. This could be a huge win for uh, voter rights advocates, those who uh, are constantly fighting voter suppression efforts. Uh, as the article states, election officials are asking the General Assembly for changes after government workers spent Long hours last year evaluating whether voter challenges were justified. In fact, in Gwinnett County, workers reviewed a list of 22,000 allegedly invalid voter registrations before the local election board ultimately dismissed all the voter challenges, finding there wasn't a probable cause to move forward because they were primarily based on mailing address records instead of more specific information that a voter had actually moved. Uh, Let's see. There was also a bill recently passed. uh, State Senate committee would have empowered voter challengers by allowing them to rely entirely on change of address records from the U.S. Postal Service, which isn't always a reliable source of information, to determine whether someone has permanently moved. Again, this uh, in today's uh, AJC piece by Mark Neese. He goes on to add, the legislation would have provided some relief to election workers by postponing action against those voters within 45 days of an election. Gabriel Sterling with the uh, Secretary of State's office, Brad Raffensperger's office, by the way, Secretary of State, of course, they oversee elections in the state. Uh, said the, the main thing that we care about right now is taking the work off of them. He's talking about elections workers. So having a window of time in which you cannot do those challenges is probably the most important thing to do. I chuckle because this is kind of one of those cases of taking things to an extreme and now even folks on your own side of the aisle are going, okay, this is too much. This is ridiculous. Good. Glad to see some common sense rising to the top. Can you imagine working in the Gwinnett elections office, 22,000 contested voters. 
Uh, and I mean, going back to 2020, the uh, organization True the Vote, they challenged 364,000 voters uh, before the Senate runoffs and county elections officials threw out almost all of those challenges. It's, 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 to me, it's not even about just challenging those individual registered voters. It's about gumming up the work. It's, it's sabotage. It's, it's almost willfully sabotaging the process in and of itself and taxing a system already understaffed to begin with. Good for uh, the Secretary of State's office and uh, those in the General Assembly looking to address this issue. Okay, moving on. Uh, you know, I'm a huge uh, hater. I cannot stand gerrymandering as a concept. Whether it's for blue states, red states, I cannot stand gerrymandering. It literally takes the power out of the voters' hands and puts it in control of legislators to choose their voters instead of voters choosing their legislators. That makes sense? And here's a good case in point. 2024 house races. It's never too soon to start talking about house races because we have them every two years for one thing. Uh, Inside Elections came out with the first set of 2024 house ratings, uh, determining if they're, you know, toss-up, lean, till, likely. Anyway, <clears throat> the battlefield has been set. Uh, 66 competitive races so far slated for 2024, and they're evenly split. 33 currently held by Democrats, 33 held by Republicans, and we know that the House control is razor thin. <clears throat> I'm going to show you, or I'm going to I'm going to go through this real quick. Uh, the House races that they are projecting as toss-ups. Two in California, one in Colorado, two in New York, New Jersey, New Mexico, Michigan, Oregon, Washington. You heard no southern states there. Hmm. Uh, as far as the tilts, one way or the other, there's, a, there's three that tilt Democratic, two in Pennsylvania, one in California. There are seven that tilt to the Republican side, two in Arizona, California, Iowa, Michigan, New York, and Virginia. Oh, Virginia. Virginia is the first southern, so, you know, so to speak, state that shows as a potential wobbly might go into toss-up, slightly leans one way or the other. Not one southern state really has, or one one district in all the southern states out of, what is this, 10 uh, plus 22, out of 22. One out of 22 so-called competitive congressional districts in the south. When you even go to the lean column, that's a, you know, it's a little more confident that these congressional districts will stay with the party that uh, they're held by. Uh, I look and I see, up oh, one more Virginia district and one in Texas. So three, three out of, out of 42 so-called potentially competitive house districts are in the South. Not one in Georgia, by the way. Not one in Georgia. I'll even take it a little bit further. <clears throat> the likely column has no Georgia districts at all. We have 14 congressional districts in this state. Not one of them is even remotely competitive. I bring this up because <clears throat> in the last cycle, it was Sanford Bishop, his southwest Georgia uh, district, was considered the only toss-up House race last year. Of course, he won it uh, with like 55% of the vote. And uh, now uh, the Cook Political Report categorized uh, his race as a solid, uh, a solid D. Uh, inside election indicated that uh, his seat is safely Democratic. So 
when you look at inside elections report, there are only 44 house races that are even anywhere from remotely competitive to very competitive. Not one in the state of Georgia. Georgia is completely gerrymandered. You as a voter, how does that make you feel? And this is not likely to be dealt with because we have a split bicameral legislature in Washington. The Senate is held by the Democratic Party. The House, slim majority, held by the Republican Party. So you you can expect nothing to get done on this. The Supreme Court had an opportunity. They punted on it a couple years ago. So this is the system we have to live with, at least for a few more years. The only thing that affects this is us literally getting up and moving in mass. <laughs> this is not what our forefathers had in mind, y'all. 44 competitive districts, 391 untouchable. Super swingy, purple state Georgia with 14 districts, not one of them competitive. Our forefathers are rolling in their graves. More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. Follow The Ron Show on Facebook at The Ron Show Radio. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Uh, as I mentioned last segment, the allergies finally got to me, so uh, I'm probably going to do a half show today. I mean, there will be like a second half of the show, don't get me wrong. I think we're just going to do a little repeat segment. But an important conversation, nonetheless, that I had a few weeks ago uh, with a friend of mine who launched a mental wellness app that doesn't cost you a dime to download and or use. Yeah. And it's kind of a like a like a group think kind of everyone helping each other out sort of scenario. It's fantastic. Uh, it's called White Flag. So uh, Johnny McCoy will be my conversation uh, on the bottom half of the show if you want to uh, wait out for that. I did decide, I, uh, you know, despite the allergies just whipping my tail and I've kind of been in a blah mood all day today, that uh, I did want to get through some of the headlines. And uh, one of the bigger headlines from over the weekend was the release of the private autopsy done by the family of Manuel Esteban Paez Tehran. He, of course, is the uh, Atlanta forest defender activist killed uh, in January by Georgia State Patrol during a clearing operation that was a multi-jurisdictional, multi-agency uh, <clears throat> uh, practice done at the uh, site of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. So anyway, uh, Friday, the autopsy results... Uh, they and listen, they were done by a former GBI uh, medical examiner uh, by the name of Dr. Chris Sperry. Um, he worked with the GBI and then retired in 2015 when the AJC found he had claimed hundreds of work hours at the GBI when he was actually working for clients uh, at his own uh, 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 forensic science consulting firm. So uh, there's a little bit of that. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know that his findings or how they characterize his findings are really um are really important uh i'm not questioning what what dr what dr sperry found here um what i what i would caution anyone to do though is to read too much into the characterization that obviously Tehran's family uh has by now you've heard uh insisted that the autopsy reveals that uh, Tehran was likely uh, hands up when he was shot. Uh, okay, that's fine, but there are some important caveats. And one of the best threads on this that I, I saw this morning came from um, journalist Sean Keenan with the New York Times, Atlanta Magazine, Daily Beast, Curbed. Um, <clears throat> so he talks a little bit about some of the findings and some important distinctions. He says, Friday's press release from the family's attorneys lacked key details. This document sheds some light on how Tehran died, but it also leaves many questions unanswered. Uh, by the way, I shared this thread at Ron Show ATL on Twitter if you want to follow along. 
second tweet. <clears throat> the report describes a person completely eviscerated by bullets, shot more than a dozen times with handgun and shotgun ammunition. The shooters were, quote, relatively close to the decedent, the autopsy says. State troopers shot Tehran in the arms and hands, legs and feet, oh my God, torso, crotch, and head, according to the autopsy report. The kid was just sprayed with bullets. Uh, the tweet goes on. At the press release, or as the press release said, the autopsy report suggests Tehran was, quote, most probably in a seated position, cross-legged, when troopers shot, shot them. It also says Tehran was able to raise their hands during the course of being shot. But how it describes that movement is very important. Uh, Sean Kinnan goes on to tweet, the decedent, quoting, the decedent was able to raise his hands and arms up in front of his body with his palms facing toward his upper body, the report says. The next part was noticeably, or was notably left out of the press release. Quote, it's impossible to determine if the decedent had been holding a firearm or not holding a firearm either before he was shot or while he was being shot. Notice that that statement is in the autopsy report, but not in the family's press release. That's what Sean Keenan's honing in on. The report also says, quote, there were no gunshot wounds entering the back or any other posterior surface of the body. That finding clashes with theories circulating in some activist groups. Quote, this indicates that the decedent was facing the multiple individuals who were firing their weapons at him during the entire interval which the shooting occurred. The report concludes that multiple shots fired during the shooting, quote, would have been lethal. Activists have, have accused troopers of being trigger-happy on January 18th, pointing to the number of times Tehran was shot. Uh, the tweet continues, the thread. Uh, this is the second autopsy performed in Tehran's body after the DeKalb County Medical Examiner expected first. It was conducted by Dr. Chris Berry, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation's former chief medical examiner. The GBI is investigating the shooting. Activists have demanded an independent probe of the incident to no avail. And then uh, Sean goes into the background of uh, Dr. Sperry's uh, dismissal with the GBI. The GBI said in a statement that it would withhold its own findings until its investigation concludes. So Sean circles back to this part. What's missing? The report presents no evidence to support or disprove authorities' claims that Tehran was armed. It does not shed light on how the shooting began or played out. While some may have found Friday's press release enlightening, the full report it alluded to seems only to complicate the already tangled narrative. Again, I, I shared that tweet thread. I think it's an important one to share. <clears throat> and uh, he has the documents uh, as well. Uh, I just retweeted that uh, earlier this morning at Ron Show. ATL on Twitter. I think it's worth uh, the time of anyone who, whether you're on the fence or pro one way or anti the other way, I think it's important not to let narratives uh, rush out the barn before you throw a saddle on them. And what I mean by that is there's been a lot of outrage. A 26-year-old man uh, shot, killed, an activist, a peaceful activist by all accounts before it then, uh, who surprisingly had a gun on him. So there was a lot of immediate outrage, uh, a lot of uh, righteous outrage from folks who had claimed to, you know, want to just protect a forest and uh, protect the environment and uh, speak on behalf of residents in that area of DeKalb County who don't want this police training facility and a burn building and firing range and all this stuff and, and, and their environment not being, uh, their environmental concerns not being dealt with all along. 
So that narrative kind of played out real quick. Oh my God, they brutally shot him. Uh, he wasn't armed. Okay, but they found a, there was a gun. So the autopsy, the private autopsy done by the family, doesn't really address that. Now, it, it, does, it does point that there were exit wounds consistent with being shot from the front and none from behind, which means he wasn't ambushed or on the run, at which point police would stop firing, right? Well, I don't know. They allege he had a gun, so maybe they wouldn't stop firing. I don't know. Nonetheless, the autopsy done by the family detailed that there were no shots entering the body from behind. My point is our emotions are high, and as soon as new information comes out, it sometimes isn't even always properly vetted before folks react or overreact. And I think this is the time that uh, no matter what side of the argument you're on, it's time for some civil, frank, and rational discussion. To which I would say to law enforcement, it doesn't help when you walk into a bouncy house and point a rifle into it. You know what I'm saying? This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So every once in a while, I get to catch up with old friends and see what's up in their world. And I've been wanting to catch up with this guy for a minute. His name is Johnny McCoy. And uh, Johnny joins me to discuss the White Flag app, which, by the way, I've downloaded. It's on my phone. I've yet to use it, though. I'm not going to lie, Johnny. Only because, uh, I, I don't know, I guess I've been in a good headspace lately. And I talk to a therapist routinely. But I like knowing that it's there. So without further ado, Johnny McCoy, tell us about the White Flag app and how you came to realize the need for it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Ron. It's good to talk to you again. You know, uh, we're social media buddies in that we keep up with each other Mm -hmm. through uh, social media and your podcast. And, you know, we just started our podcast on the White Flag app. Oh, cool. Um, It's called White Flag Warriors. Um, And in the first three episodes have been my story which I'll kind of, um, you know, do a little succinct story here for you to kind of uh, let your your listeners understand how, how the White Flag app came to be. Um, but you can hear the full story on the White Flag Warriors uh, on any podcast okay. uh, channels. But basically, man, I'm, you know, I'm just like a typical person. You know, I was born into a family of uh, mentally ill parents who did not and still to this moment don't um, consider themselves mentally ill. My father witnessed uh, his grandfather um, take his own life uh, in this pain in front of him uh, when he was a little boy. Uh, he was 12 years old and was going over to visit my grandfather who was living alone, just got to a divorce. And uh, he discovered him in his bed with a note in his hand. And the saddest part was the whole thing that not only did my grandfather know that my dad was coming, um, so he, you know, he knew who was going to find him, but um, my dad, uh, was, was sworn to secrecy, told never to talk about it. Mm. You know, they called it a heart attack at the funeral and yeah. so he never had any treatment. His, you know, I'm sure that there was some more things that happened to him growing up. And then my mom was molested as a child, mm. lost her father early. Um, and you know, the mom was kind of absent and seven brothers and sisters, big Catholic family. Then they meet in the seventies at Disney, you know, kind of working their way up in the service industry. And, uh, they got married and had three little boys. And when you don't try to fix your own issues, what you don't transform, you transmit and then transmitted all that stuff through Mm. their veins, through their bodies, through their minds into us. And I was born with generalized anxiety disorder and uh, panic disorder and some of these other issues. They just called me their worrier, you know, like, oh, this is our nervous son. Uh, but in reality, I, you know, I had some very serious mental health issues growing up. And then 
one day my dad hit my mom in the face with a bottle and watching my father be arrested and my mom, you know, being mangled in the face, you know, it really did something to me. And, and most importantly, um, you know, it made me, uh, it made me realize that, um, you know, I was a little bit worse off than we thought. The problem was my family, they never, um, they never got me any treatment for it because mm -hmm. they didn't know anything better. And so I just kind of went on with life. And then the next thing, you know, uh, my mom becomes a full blown alcoholic. She's abusive to me. Then I leave for college. I find out I have Crohn's disease in college. And then, uh, you know, as, as one of those like hyper independent people, I, I went to law school and one of, you know, highest educated person in the history of my family. And mm -hmm. I have all these anxious issues about, you know, the police and watching my dad get arrested. And, you know, that's not something that you want to happen to you. And then one fateful evening in downtown Columbia, I was uh, falsely arrested for asking these police officers why they were arresting my friend and um, to teach us a lesson for saying that we were attorneys, which we were. Um, they shifted us to general population by not turning our paperwork in on time. And um, during that elongated stay, I witnessed somebody take their own life. So I witnessed the suicide as well while mm. I was in jail. And I can't tell you, man, like most people will tell you when you have panic issues, getting away moving out of that area, wherever you are, going outside, breathing, just removing yourself from the, from the trauma, from the danger is what you need. And for, for me, I was locked in a jail cell. The yeah. guy was like right there in front of me for hours on end. It was a crime scene. And turns out that the officers lied on their incident report to justify my arrest became like this, like, you know, this, my word versus theirs. I mm -hmm. found a hidden, Yeah. I found a hidden surveillance video video went viral before viral was happening lawsuit mate you know it reaches the headlines and the next thing you know i'm in a battle versus the city of columbia uh over whether or not i was right or they were right and um it went on for four years and it was bad it was nasty i ended up winning three hundred thousand dollars the day before the trial started the day they said that they didn't do anything that the, the day they said they they did something wrong was the day they slid the check across the table. Yeah. So I, I witnessed, you know, horrific from, uh, from a personal standpoint, not from like reading it in a book, mm -hmm. what people go through, what defendants go through, what plaintiffs go through. And so I took every dollar of that money. I was working insurance defense at the time, but I took all that money and I put it into my own law firm. Right. And um, so I started doing criminal law and civil rights law and, you know, I was hammering them in the courtroom because I, you know, I had the ability and the necessity to call people out when they were lying. Mm -hmm. And in the South, it's just not something you see in the courtroom, man. No. You'll see, you know, attorneys and they'll be like, well, I got to work with this guy. You know, I got I have thousands of cases with him. I'm not going to call him out on this. And I did. Mm -hmm. And at first there was a lot of pushback. I got a lot of threats. I was told, you know, this isn't, this isn't a, a, an area that you need to be practicing law in one of the most conservative areas in the most conservative state in the union. And then eventually after I, you know, kept winning over and over again, eventually the word just got out. All right, don't lie. Or this guy's going to call you out on it, you know? And so heaven forbid um, <laughs> in yeah, our justice yeah, system. Right. Yeah. And so I, I started getting a bigger name and then eventually I got started getting phone calls for really high profile cases because mm -hmm. they knew I, I didn't give a damn. I would call you out. So I got hired on the Julian Benton case where, my client was shot at 29 times, hit nine times, point blank range, eight feet away, maybe even closer, over $100 worth of marijuana. The whole thing admitted mm -hmm. was over a $100 marijuana sale. 
And my client allegedly sold the hundred dollars worth of marijuana to a hundred percent mentally disabled military veteran who needed it to sleep. Right. They kicked this, they kicked this guy's door down middle of the afternoon while school buses were driving around, unloaded 29 shots into this guy's house. Nine of them hit him. He survives. And they turned off all their body cameras, same as in my case. And guess what? Another hidden surveillance video. This mm -hmm. one showed that the officer didn't knock. They didn't announce. They weren't wearing police clothing. So long story short, we end up settling that case for a state record $11.2 million dollars in 2020. And this was right before George Floyd. So uh, that was also right before COVID. So now I got this, you know, I got this, this momentum, we got a big attorney fee, and then COVID hit and my mental health, you know, kind of like everybody else's took a plunge, right? It had already been bad, you know, mm -hmm. I had PTSD, generalized anxiety, all the stuff that I had gone through, but I was also on Xanax. And so uh, long story short, I said, well, you know, I'm not changing anything. All I'm doing is winning for my clients. Nothing was being changed. The officers in the Julian Benton case still work there. Mm -hmm. They still signed sworn affidavits. The judge found them to have committed perjury. These guys didn't even get a day off. Mm -hmm. They didn't even get a public recommend, nothing. And so I asked for one around the time of the George Floyd. I said, is there any way that the city of Myrtle Beach or any of these other uh, surrounding municipalities that had officers involved are going to admonish publicly. And they said, no, you got your check. That's all you need. And I said, all right, well, if I'm not making any change in the justice system, all I'm doing is helping my clients get their own personal justice, but I'm not changing anything. I need to do something that has more of an effect on the world. And so um, from my own issues, my own suicide attempts in 2018, my own struggle with finding somebody to talk to, I realized that there wasn't anything out there. And so I created a way for you to instantly and anonymously connect with somebody else who's going through the same things as you. Yeah. That's all a white flag is. It's an app. It's a free app in the app store. And it's what I needed during all this struggle, all the stuff you just heard about. The only thing I ever needed to hear was from somebody else to say, I've gone through what you went through. I made it out. You can do this. Because mm. when you go to a therapist, like you just talked about, they don't say that. They read through the book and they say, hey, this is what, you know, could have blah, blah, blah. But when I got into treatment and I finally got with a roommate who was walking me through what it was like to withdraw from Xanax, walked me through what it was like to have, you know, these nightmares and cope with them the next day, you know, and then for him to be able to tell me, look, I, I know exactly I know exactly what you're going through. The amount of times that you think about suicide, the amount of times where you think you can't make it. I went through the same thing. I'm here. And so it was that was the best medicine for me. And, you know, I thought that would be the best way to spend the money from the civil rights cases was to just flat out, you know, create something where people can find each other. And so that's what we got. That's where we're at now is all my time and attention is devoted to the white flag app and connecting the world. And we hit a viral video on TikTok last week or two weeks ago, and we ended up with twenty five thousand downloads from that one video. Nice. So people are responding. They they like it. They think it's a good idea. And uh, one of my favorite reviews in the app store is my why. And it reads, um, you have no idea what this app means to me. It's the only reason I'm still here. Wow. And those are the type of the feedback and the and, you know, the kind of uh, reviews that keep me going, even though I'm I still struggle. You know, I'm on antipsychotics. I'm one of the best lawyers. Uh, people will tell you in the state of South Carolina, and I guarantee you I'm the only one that admits that I struggle with my mental health and I'm on antipsychotics and blah, blah, blah. And but that's, I'm also still, 
I'm also still great. That's, so. that's an important note too. I, I was just going to sit here and tell people for those who don't know, you know, John, Johnny is, Johnny is a, an affable, good looking fella. He's got a, he's got his own law firm. I mean, you are on the outside, the definition of success, you know, and you've got a lovely wife. You, you've got on the outside, what appears to be this fantastic life. And it's, it's a lesson for us all to learn that what looks good on the outside, what we think looks fantastic on the outside may not always be as fantastic on the inside for that individual. And so hearing people out and listening to their story and understanding that everyone has their own struggles, whether we know it or not, it's, it's important to acknowledge. No, it's the, I mean, it, people talk about in the stigma and, oh, you know, I need to be in the fight. And my favorite is the reach out to me. If you, you know, everybody needs to know that you can reach out to me. Um, you know, if you guys really want to make a difference, if you really want to make a change, I'm going to tell you the only way to do it or the most efficient way uh, is to make the biggest impact. And that is sharing your own story. Yeah with your wife, with your son, with even if you don't have quote unquote mental health issues, yeah. you need to talk about the time where you couldn't get out of bed for three days. Mm-hmm. You need to talk about the time where, uh, where you lost somebody and you know, what grief felt like to you. You need to talk about the time where, you know, you, you like j- just the casual stuff that we all feel, but the people who talk about the thing that the, the, the things that are, really difficult like me the past suicide attempt trouble with addiction trouble with alcohol and you see me on the today show you see me you know winning cases in the courtroom you know that are life without parole people's lives are in my hands you see that somebody's capable of doing these things and of being quote unquote mentally ill that's the only way out of this thing the reason that they're they're so afraid to talk to you and to everybody else and even mention what's going on with them is they're afraid of being shunned by society or yeah. locked up for three days. Yeah. And the only way that we're going to beat this thing is if you guys start talking. So, and if you might cringe by saying by hearing a guy who's a, you know, a founder of a of a startup that people rave about that's got this incredible you know record in the courtroom and this good story and. You know, all this other stuff. But I want you to when you when you think about and you hear these things from me, I want you to remember this was done by somebody who was extremely mentally ill. Right. And I don't care what you say. I've been, I, you know, going going through my mental health issues and being to where I am today. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I'm comfortable with you saying, you know, he, he, I, I heard from a guy who's very mentally ill, who's mm-hmm. doing great professionally i mean it's just like it's, it's i had cancer yeah and 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 you know i was doing great you wouldn't be like oh my lord like how is he doing this well you would just be like applauding the mm. entire time because people are able to function normally quote unquote while they're dealing with deadly diseases which is what mental illness is which is what cancer is and uh we should it should all be treated uniformly I mean, it, I didn't do anything to acquire PTSD. Mm. I, I was born with it. And then my surroundings happened and made it worse. So, you know, why should I be so ashamed? Why should I be so embarrassed? The people who hurt me damn sure aren't embarrassed. They're, you know, they could care less. Such a powerful testimony to hear this from a guy who, on the surface, you would look at him and think, this guy's got it all put together. He has lived a charmed life. And yet we're learning so much about Johnny that the surface wouldn't tell you. Back in 2010, by the way, Johnny was named South Carolina's Bachelor of the Year in a Cosmopolitan magazine feature that gave us the 50 most eligible bachelors, one per each state. 
We'll talk more with Johnny, learn more about the White Flag app after the break. More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. Listen, it's no secret that the housing market is in fluctuation right now. We went through an intense seller's market for a little more than 18 months, not just in Metro Atlanta, but throughout the United States and the state of Georgia, obviously. So now things are cooling off a little bit. Interest rates are going up. Buyers are a little more tentative. What does that mean for you if you are looking to still kind of cash in on the equity you've grown over the last few years and potentially selling your home? Well, it means that you have to hire a savvy, smart realtor, someone who knows the negotiating game and how to market your home professionally. Guess what? That's me. That's right. Not only am I the Rancho host, but I'm also a realtor with eXp Realty. Anyone with a few hundred dollars in a few weeks to get a license can list your home. It takes someone with decades of marketing experience to market your home and get it sold at top dollar. Call me. Let's discuss your options. 843-283-0078 or log on at rononthereal.com. My email address, ron at rononthereal.com. Georgia MLS 396720. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So we're on with my good friend Johnny McCoy, founder of the White Flag app. Download it now on your iTunes, Apple, or Android devices in the uh, Google Play Store as well. White Flag app is there for you anytime you need it, 24-7, 365. If you're having a, a dip in your mental wellness and just need to talk to somebody, there is somebody who can talk to you who likely knows a lot about what you're going through. And how that comes about is by you when you download the app and then signing up. You answer a few questions, and then boom, you're set up for when you need to call on it. The best part, it doesn't cost you a thing. There's no copay, no deductible, nothing, nothing insurance. It's absolutely free for you to do so. So crucial. In fact, in a country where uh, medical bills uh, lead to bankruptcies, and that in and of itself causes its own mental struggles, yeah. uh, you know, this, this is something that anyone who needs it can obtain it, and there's no cost involved for it. And that's something that I find particularly pleasing and want to shout from the top of mountains and rooftops. Download this app, log in, sign yourself up, answer a few questions, and you're set if and when you ever need it. And you never have to worry about the cost. The cost is what keeps people from going to seek preventative medical care, and preventative mental health care as well. Yeah, no, you're right on the money. And, you know, uh, it's not, it, I mean, you said it perfectly because it is, it's 24 seven. There are very, very little hurdles for you to have to get out, get on the app and begin talking with somebody. And after all of the stuff that I've been through, all the treatments, all the options, talking has been the, the most beneficial thing to me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're talking to a therapist, a psychiatrist, a physician, or somebody else who's been through it. That's called peer support. Yeah. What matters is that you start your journey and you just start you know, having these conversations. And on White Flag, you don't have to jump straight in and say, I'm struggling with this, this, and this. You can go talk to somebody else who's saying, I'm struggling with this, this, and this, and you can just be there to support them, learning about their issues while you in turn learn about your own yourself until you're ready to start talking about your stuff more intimately. But the truth is, you know, people who are struggling with mental illness are incredibly lonely. Mm. I mean, most people are just lonely in general, but people with mental illness are incredibly lonely. 24 hours a day, 
you can anonymously get on white flag and have a real conversation with a real person who needs it, who needs to hear from you, who needs to know that there's empathy in other people out there. You don't just have to be related to them. You don't have to be paid. You don't have to be trained. It's true. It's within us. It, and, and it's what makes us a separate from the rest of the species on this planet is that we we do things for each other without anything expected in return and it feels great it helps us but that's not why we do it there's some sort of internal longing to be there for each other and that white flag provides you the space to do that so if you're out there and you want to know how i can get in the fight you want to know how i can help com truly combat the crisis white flags on the front line just sign on. You don't got to put your real name in there. Just an anonymous username. You don't have to put your address or anything crazy like that. And you can immediately begin, you know, combating the crisis by being there for somebody else. Let me ask you this, Johnny, though. If I have uh, some big pocketed donor who wants to say, you know, I really want to get behind this. I'd like to support it in some kind of way. Does that avenue exist or is there any way that, you know, yeah. folks can? Yes. So the best thing for you to do if you want to you know, be, on, be along the journey along the way is to follow our social media for, for different ways where you can participate, whether we're going to end up doing crowdfunding here soon okay. or you know, whether we announce a fundraise or whatnot. Uh, but yeah, no, that's a great question. I appreciate it. The best way to do that is to just kind of follow us on our social media for updates. All right. And how do, uh, what, what's your, give, give us your social media handle for those who don't. Yeah, yeah. So we're everywhere at White Flag App, okay. APP. We're on TikTok, we're on Instagram, we post daily on every channel, Facebook, Twitter, we're even on LinkedIn because people are in those places and it's people that are struggling with mental illness and need this. So we go where everybody is. So yeah, follow us along at White Flag app. Our podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. It's you know, it's a a a, um, a, a more uh, more involved conversation about my mental health, mm -hmm. about our users' mental health, some of our team members. We're going to talk about ketamine on there. We're going to talk about mushrooms, all things that I tried during my journey. So follow along with the White Flag Warriors podcast as well. That's good stuff, man. Well, listen, Johnny, uh, it's good to catch up with you. Uh, I'm sorry we haven't done this a whole lot sooner. Uh, I love you, brother, and uh, I love wish you all the best. Man. Well, Ron, you've always, I don't know if your users know this, but you have always been real. And that's what everybody, you know, that's what they say they like about me is, you know, I got the whole far, but, you know, I've always appreciated that, uh, that you've kept it real, not only with your users, even in Myrtle Beach, you know, you bring us along on your journey and it's just, you're just a wonderful person. I'm glad to call you a friend, man. Same here, buddy. Thank you so much for the time. Absolutely, of course. Real quick, Women's History Month. I did not cover Friday. We had such a full plate on Friday. Let's mention uh, that Josephine Groves Holloway, born uh, on Friday's date in 1898, she founded the first unofficial Girl Scout troop for African-American girls and worked for two decades to have her troops recognized by the Nashville Girl Scout Council. Lorraine Hansberry, born on this day in 1959, she, of course, wrote A Raisin in the Sun, uh, opening at Barrymore Theater, New York, the first play by a black woman to premiere on Broadway. Charlotte Friend, a microbiologist in the 1950s at Sloan Kettering Institute, born on this day in 1921, she discovered a link between defective maturation and tumor growth in mice, discoveries that were critical in establishing the role of viruses in some cancers, born on Saturday's date in 1921. Here we go, more Girl Scouts reminding me I need to get cookies. Juliet Gordon-Lowe assembled 18 girls together in Savannah, Georgia for the first ever Girl Scout meeting on yesterday's date in 1912. On yesterday's date in 1993, Janet Reno sworn in as the first woman U.S. Attorney General. 
It was on today's date that Susan Gerby, a biochemist, was born uh, in 1944. She helped devise a method to map the start site of DNA replication and research the role of hormones in certain cancers. An old hobby of mine, obviously. Susan Gerby, born this day, 1944. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, hopefully at full strength, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, and on all the major podcast platforms. Got the links to those if you want at ronshowatl.com. Past show blogs, audio, and more there at ronshowatl.com. Have a great one.